I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered each to his own home and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Good morning. It's great to see you guys here on this 4th of July weekend. Uh, one, of the, uh, you know, one of the bad things about 4th of July weekend is that a lot of, our, a lot of people here in our church are out traveling, so they're not here. But one of the great things about 4th of July weekend is a lot of people are traveling, and people who were a part of Mercy Hill Church are here visiting us again. And so we've got a few people here from Florida and from Colorado and from all over that have been part of our church. And it's so fun uh, to have everyone here, but especially those people we haven't seen in so long. Um, I also wanted to, before I got into the message, just give you guys an update. For many of you, um, you received an email this week about a particular project that we have been engaged in. It, is, it was the Rwanda housing project. We're providing housing for an um, individual who is a survivor of the genocide. Uh, we specifically needed to raise $2,900. And I just want to let you guys know, as of yesterday, we raised $3,700. So um, I want to thank you guys for responding uh, to that. Um, Mercy Hill Church has always, 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 always stepped up whenever there was a need, and so I want to thank you guys for that. The, um, the call of the Christian is generosity, um, to give generously, um, no matter what the circumstances are, no matter what situation you find yourselves in. We give generously because Christ is a generous, has been generous to us. God is a generous God. He gave generously of his son. His son gave generously of his life, and so it's our call as believers, to be generous givers. And so for you guys to respond that way shows um, a heart that you have that's been touched by the, by the message of the gospel. And we want to encourage you just to continue to always be generous in your giving. Every Sunday, every opportunity, it is our call as believers uh, to be generous givers. And so I want to thank you, and I want to encourage you to continue in that, in that pathway. Before we get started with this morning's message, you bow your heads and pray with me as we ask God's blessing on it. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are in our lives. We thank you that each one of us comes into this place, sits in this seat, with the full hope and anticipation that the Holy Spirit will speak to us, that the Holy Spirit will lead us and guide us. And so, Father, we open our hearts to that message. We ask that um, you would give um, me the words and the wisdom to reflect not my own abilities or my own knowledge, but what the Holy Spirit has for this congregation today. I pray, Father, that you would move today, not because of me, but in spite of me, and that your blessings would be felt by all who are in need. In your precious and holy name we pray, amen. As we've discussed throughout this series, the importance of John in that it presents to us 
Um, Jesus Christ, that the most important thing that we as followers of Christ could ever study is the nature of Jesus Christ. And the entire intent of the book of John has been that. John has said, I want you to know Jesus. And in knowing Jesus, you might find light and you might find life. And so as we've been walking through this over and over again, we're seeing who Christ is, what he came to do, what he was teaching us, and how that information, how his nature, how his work interacts with us, how it intersects with our lives and allows us to be transformed. The text this morning is, I think, particularly important because Christ imparts here um, incredibly important and essentially uh, descriptive works of Christ in the life of his disciples and in our lives today. That Jesus Christ, as he's talking to the disciples on the eve of his going to the cross and explaining to them what life is like for those who follow him after he's gone. And he kind of unfolds it and he opens it up in a really profound way. I say that this is incredibly important because as you read it, you begin to understand what it is to live as a follower of Jesus Christ. The passage we read today comes after a long conversation about the state of Christ's followers after his death and ascension. This conversation began uh, through chapter 15 and focused heavily on the trials and the tribulations that Christians will face. How the church will always face resistance and opposition and persecution because of their relationship with Jesus Christ himself. Jesus throughout is telling us, telling them and telling us that, that because of who I am, because of your association with me, you will face opposition and you will face persecution. He says, they didn't love me, they're not going to love you. They persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. This is Jesus saying, this is what's going to happen throughout the lives of believers. And he kind of sums up the whole conversation with the last line that we read today. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. This all kind of becomes the, the final point, the, the, the period on Christ's conversation. The next thing you'll see as we move in the next chapter is from this, he turns and he prays a prayer to his heavenly father about the disciples. But he's been having this ongoing conversation for several chapters about what life is like for the believer after Jesus goes. He touches on a bunch of different topics. He talks about, he talks about where he's going. He's talking about what he's preparing. He, he talks about him sending the Holy Spirit, but he talks significantly about the opposition the church will face once Jesus is gone. And then he says, you're going to have tribulation in this life, but take heart, be at peace. I've overcome this world. The first thing I think that is interesting from what Christ says is the link between what he has said and the peace he wants us to have. He said, I have said these things. I have said these things so that you might have peace. As we talk about this, what has he said? What things has he said? He talked about leaving. He, he talked about the Holy Spirit. 
But central to two chapters of this conversation he's having with the disciples is that the world, in this world, you'll face trials. He says, he says, the world will hate you because it hated me. It will persecute you because it persecuted me. They will put you out of synagogues and, and they will put you to death. And in, in doing all of that, they'll think they're doing it for God. These are the things that Jesus has said to them. And he sums it up in that last declaration. In this world, you will have tribulation. I've told you these things so that you will have peace. I've told you, uh, all, I've told you about all that is coming. I've told you about the persecution the hatred, the fact that you will face tribulation so that you can find peace in me. Doesn't that sound counterintuitive? It's going to get really bad. Be at peace. This is important because what he does is he establishes a foundation for peace that too often I think we lose sight of. He is saying, I want you to be aware of the fact that in this life, there will be trouble. That there will be trials. That there will be tribulation. So that you will find peace in me. One of the most important things I really feel that we need to have to find peace in our lives is a proper level of expectation. Do you know what causes some of the most turmoil in the lives of human beings? Is having an expectation that things are going to be different than what they actually are. Do you know what causes some of the most turmoil in your marriages? Is having the expectation that your husband or wife are better than they are. I always talk about this in relationship to marriage. I, I, one of my, one of my, I think one of, the, one of the most profound advices I can give to a husband and wife is to have lowered expectations. When you expect someone to be better than they are, you end up being disappointed, aren't you? When you have expectations of a job that are not fulfilled, you find yourself not at peace, don't you? When you expect your team to win, this is what I learned when I lived up in Minnesota. For some reason, Minnesota Vikings fans can't catch on that they're never going to win. And they're at such great turmoil every time they lose. And I just want to say, come on. You know you're going to lose. One of the most important things we can ever have in our lives to find peace is appropriate expectations. And I don't think it is just happenstance that Jesus Christ says, I'm telling you that don't come into this world, don't step into this place and expect that this world will be the place where you will find peace. He says, in this life, you will have tribulations. He's saying, I want you guys to understand, I'm not promising you Christians that in this life, it's going to be all rainbows and roses. I want you to know that in this life, there is going to be hardship and there is going to be struggles. 
One of the reasons so many Christians falter in their faith is because they have this expectation that because they follow Jesus, now everything's going to be okay and everything's going to be fine and everything's going to be happy and we're all just going to walk around skipping together and finding joy. And then when they step into this life and they begin to live out their faith, they begin to realize, you know what, that's not true. And I don't know why we ever thought it was true because the Bible never said it was true and Jesus promised us in this life, in this world, you will have trials and tribulations. Unfortunately, one of the reasons why so many Christians find themselves in this place is because so, much, so often we try to do is teach people that being a Christian makes everything great and awesome and incredible all the time. And the reason we do that is because one of the worst marketing plans in life is to tell people, come to Jesus and everyone will hate you. Come to Jesus and trials and tribulations await you. They will persecute you. They'll put you out of synagogues and they'll kill you. Come to Jesus. We're too obsessed with getting people to a faith that isn't a true faith. And when we get people to a faith that isn't a true faith, they find disappointment. And they falter in their walk with Jesus Christ. We have to realize that there is an important connection between Jesus Christ saying... I've told you that trials and tribulations are coming so that you'll have peace in this world because you will find that peace in me. That's what he says, right? He says, he says I told you this so that you will find your peace not in this world but in me. That as believers, you don't walk into the circumstances of this life and believe that everything will be found, everything will be fulfilled, and all the peace you need will be, will be discovered in the things that this world has for you. But that peace will be found in me. He is setting the proper expectations from the world. Trials, tribulations, turmoil. But directing us to the source of peace in Jesus. I have said all these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulations, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Now this is an incredibly important idea that so often in the church is, is casually quoted, and so often in the church we casually claim but it's deeply important for us to unpack what Jesus Christ is saying to us. He's letting us know from the get-go that you won't find peace. If you're a follower of Christ, you won't find peace in the things of this world. You just won't. Trials and tribulations are coming. But you will find peace in me because I have overcome the world. For many of us, that is, a, that, is, that is a profoundly important declaration. And as I say, for many of us, we, we, we quote that very casually. I can have peace because he's overcome the world. But what I want us to do this morning is I want us to unpack that and really discover what he's trying to say. Because this is really important. Trials and tribulations will happen in this world. But peace will be discovered in Christ because he has overcome the world. What has his victory captured for us? What has his victory gained for us 
in which we can find peace. One of the things we have to understand is, is the Greek word translated as overcome is combative in, in context and definitive in nature. What I mean by that is, is the word means to defeat, to win a victory over, as in a contest or a military conflict. The world is the created realm, the domain of existence here on earth. It is broken and in its sinful state. Jesus says that here on earth we will encounter trouble and sorrow, but he has overcome the world. He has overcome every earthly obstacle, and he is telling us his victory becomes our peace. That his definitive victory confers to us a place of peace. He, by his perfect illustrative life, by his willing sacrificial death, and by his victorious resurrection, imputes to us victory over the trials and the tribulations of this world. And we see in this world the totality of that imputed victory as our foundation for peace. Christ's victory is our foundation for peace. Christ's victory over the world in its totality, in its completion, his total victory gives us a multifaceted over, um, opportunity for peace, that he beat everything. And as a result of beating everything, we are able to find peace in every circumstance. The first thing that we discover in Christ's victory is that we, because he has overcome the world, we can overcome anxieties and fears. Christ provides his followers peace to overcome their troubled hearts. I want you to hear this and I want you to understand this because for many of us as Christians, we face circumstances even this morning that cause turmoil in our hearts and in our minds. Many of us came brought into this place circumstances and situations that cause us to live uh, in a place where we can't sleep, where we're, where we're, we're having anxiety. But Jesus Christ, by his work, has secured for us a peace to be found in the midst of all of our anxieties and all of our fears. You have to remember what he says in John chapter 14. He says, peace I leave you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. The distinctive declaration of Jesus Christ is, as followers, be at peace. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't be afraid. The work that I am doing, the work that I have done, provides for you a foundation to live at peace in the midst of hard times. Live at peace in the midst of question marks. Live at peace in the midst of all the turmoil that you find yourself in and not live in anxiety. Those who believe in Jesus Christ don't have to live with anxious hearts, but can experience the gift of his otherworldly, his transcendent peace. The reason we're able to do that is because because by his work, we can confidently bring every situation to him in, in prayer. We can bring it to him wholly, depending upon him to, to meet our needs. 
Because he has shown that he cares for us, that he, he promises to send his Holy Spirit to lead us and to guide us and to protect us. That Jesus Christ, through the totality of his work on the cross, the totality of his gospel work, has, has illustrated to us that he loves us, that he cares about us, that he wants to meet our needs. Do you understand that that's the reality? When you look into the gospel story, what it tells us is Jesus Christ set aside glory to come to this earth because you had a need. Because I had a need. He walked in this life. He suffered deeply. He died on the cross because he cares about you. He cares about your circumstances. He cares about your situation. He has illustrated by the gospel his love for you. And, and not only that, we see in the conversation that he's had all the way through the disciples as he's been about to go away, he looks at them and says, listen, I want you to be at peace. I want you to have joy. And I want you to know for that to happen, I've got to go and I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to be there for you, to be your comforter. Remember he says that? That the reason he's sending the Holy Spirit, one of the reasons he sends the Holy Spirit is to give us comfort. Everything in the work of Jesus Christ illustrates to us he cares about you, he's concerned about you, and he's willing to meet whatever needs you have. This is, this is one, of the, one of the things that you discover, not just in what Jesus Christ says here, but through all of, his, all of, the, all of the words of the, of the Bible, all the intent of what we read from the apostles after Jesus Christ comes. It's fascinating because... It, you, you see it so, so brilliantly expressed in Hebrews, right? Where, where, he, where he tells us, listen, you have a high priest that empathizes with you. That he understands what you've been through, he understands what you're going through. And so it says, you can now come boldly, you can come confidently into the throne room of God to receive grace in the moment of your struggle, in the moment of your turmoil. That's the message we have, right? Jesus Christ, through the work of the gospel, has illustrated to you that he cares about you. And through the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, you can go boldly, confidently to the throne of grace and receive grace in your time of need. Consider, consider the source of peace that we find in Philippians chapter 4. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Bring it to him. Make your request known to him, because he is that high priest that empathizes with your needs. And then once you do, Live at peace knowing that this Jesus who loved you enough to die on the cross for you is concerned about your current circumstances. And trust him with it. The Lord's peace transcends all the confusion, the fear, and the anxiety of this world. Like a shield set over our minds and hearts as we live secure in Jesus Christ because we know he loves us and cares for us because his spirit is being sent to guide us and comfort us and lead us and heal us. He did not leave us alone. And everything he did in the gospel shows us that he cares deeply 
in love for us so we can bring our requests to him and rest in peace that he will respond because he loves us. And that gives us the foundation for the second victory we have because of Christ overcoming this world. He won the victory for us over hatred and rejection. Christ's victory over the world does not physically remove us from the battle. We will face the same hatred Jesus did. He's he's the one who said, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. The promise of Jesus is that in this life, we will find people who will hate us. We will find people who will reject us. And the truth of the matter is, we as human beings are tied to this idea. Our, 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 our peace, our ability to survive is tied to the idea of acceptance. We want to find acceptance. We want to be accepted by people. We want to be loved by people, not hated by people. But Jesus says, in this life, you will find that. People will reject you. They hated me. They're going to hate you. But his, his choosing to give us salvation means we can overcome the hatred of this world because we belong to God. Because we belong to God. Because God loved you so much that he sent his son. He chose you for salvation to be his child. He loves you. I want you to see something um, that I think is, is really amazing. In the way in which Paul in, in, in goes in Romans chapter 8 to talk about what it's like to face persecution. A lot of times we read this passage and we don't see exactly what, what Paul is talking about. But, in, but Paul in Romans chapter 8 says, Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? This is what he says in Romans chapter 8. And then listen to how he responds. He answers his own question by saying, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now I want you to understand this. You need to take note that Paul is literally using the description of persecution of the church, the persecution that's going on. So he's writing to the Romans and he's saying, listen guys. Yes, you're being beaten. Yes, people are being killed. Yes, you people are being rejected. Yes, the hatred from the world that Jesus predicted would come is happening to you. But does it matter? In light of the love of Jesus Christ for you, He says, yes, there's persecution taking place. Yes, there is danger at the sword. Yes, there are those who hate you. Yes, you're facing tribulation. 
But since none of that can put a dent on our relationship with Christ, cannot do one thing to undo his love for us, we win. We are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ. The truth of the matter is, we can look in the face of rejection, we can look in the face of hatred and say, Jesus Christ accepts me. Jesus Christ loves me. The Father has brought me into a relationship with him, and that love means I am more than a conqueror through the love of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, by his work on the cross, has overcome the hatred of this world for every single one of us. Because what he has demonstrated is that the depths of his love for us is so much greater and so much better than anything this world could ever offer us. He loves you. He accepts you. He receives you. Find peace in his acceptance of you. It doesn't matter what others have said. Doesn't matter what others say. Doesn't matter who has rejected you. Your Heavenly Father, through the blood of Jesus Christ, has told you you are loved and you are precious. We overcome because of the blood of the Lamb. He won the victory for us over sin and temptation. This world is ultimately defined by the arrogance of sin and the temptation to sin. But Jesus Christ gives us victory over sin. This world is defined by a resistance to our sovereign king. They're committed to staking their claim of self-autonomy, to live as they want to live, as Adam and Eve wanted to do at the very first. And their desire to satisfy their fleshly desires is what motivates and drives those in this world. But Jesus Christ gives us victory over that sinful state and the death that comes as a result of it. Before salvation, the Bible says, we lived like the world. Ephesians 2 says, we were dead in disobedience and sin. Dead in the trespasses and sins in, once, in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work and the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. The ultimate power of the world is the grip of sin. And Christ's life and work and death and resurrection overcame that power through the Holy Spirit. We receive that victory. Sin does not hold us any longer. The penalty of sin is broken because of the work of Jesus Christ. And the draw of sin is broken in the life of the believer who is yielded to the Holy Spirit. 
Whatever it is you're wrestling with, whatever it is you're struggling with, whatever sin it is that you're taking hold of, you need to understand first and foremost, sin is an issue. It's a problem and needs to be broken in your life. That's why Jesus Christ came. But Jesus Christ, through the cross and the gift of his Holy Spirit, gives us the power to break the hold of sin in our lives. You can be set free. What it requires is yielding your heart and your life to the Holy Spirit in every circumstance and situation. He gives you the power to be everything that is that he is calling you to be as you follow after him. And directly related to that is that Jesus Christ won the victory for us over spiritual forces. Jesus not only paid the penalty for our sin, but he also won a pivotal victory over Satan and all the supernatural powers of evil who are aligned with him. Look how, look how Paul frames what he wrote to the Ephesians that we just read. It's really interesting because he writes to the Ephesians and he talks about the work of Jesus Christ setting us free from our sin. And he basically has that same conversation with the Colossians, but he put, has a different emphasis on it. In his message to the Colossians, in Colossians chapter 2, he says, And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demand. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. And then he says this, He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. The implication here of Paul's writing really reads more like this. He disarmed the demonic rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. Paul's explanation here is the work of Jesus Christ put to shame the demonic forces that are trying to hold you in place. That he won a spiritual victory over spiritual forces so that we might live victorious over spiritual forces. Hebrews declares the victory even more directly when it states, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. His declaration here, what, what, what the author of Hebrews is saying is that Jesus Christ, by his death on the cross, defeated Satan. The devil was set to run. The devil has no power, has no authority in the life of those who have given themselves over to Jesus Christ. The devil has been defeated through Jesus Christ. Yes, the devil is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. But in the life of the believer, that lion has lost his teeth and is no longer a threat. Jesus won that victory. We are not subject to his authority. We are not condemned by his accusations. The ruler of this world has been overcome and we have the victory. At the name of Jesus, because of the work of Jesus, every demon has to flee. And finally, he won for us victory over sorrow and death. Death is an inevitable reality for all people. But for believers in Jesus Christ, death means, as 1 Corinthians says, victory over our last enemy. Through his atoning sacrifice on the cross and subsequent resurrection, 
Jesus overcame the world by conquering death. He shares that victory with all who repent. And for all who believe in him as Lord and Savior, we have the ultimate victory. Jesus told Martha after the death of her brother Lazarus, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die, he said. And 1 Corinthians chapter 15 declares our destiny because of his victory over death. For this imperishable body must put on the imperishable. And this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The work of Jesus Christ has overcome death in this life and in the life hereafter. Each one of us, because of him, can face our lives knowing that whatever tomorrow holds, victory awaits every single one of us who is a follower of Jesus Christ. It is why we come to every funeral where the believer dies and says we do not mourn like those who are without hope because every one of us has the hope of life because of the work of Jesus Christ. One of the things that grips and controls people in this world is the fear of death. Those of us who are in Jesus Christ do not fear death because he has won the victory and given that victory to us. We will face heartache in this life. But when we embrace the depths of Christ's victory by faith and place our reliance on him, there is peace to be discovered through all circumstances and all situations because Jesus Christ has won every victory and has passed that on to us. His victory is total. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. We have victory over anxiety of fear. We have victory over hatred and rejection. We have victory over sin and temptation, over spiritual forces and death itself. I walked through all of this. I, I, I took the time to speak through the victory we have because of Christ's overcoming power. Because I want you to understand that Christ gives you total victory today. You do not have to walk out of this place in fear. You do not have to walk out of this place in turmoil. You can walk out of this place in peace when you set your faith on the declaration that Jesus Christ wins it all and has given it to you. Too many of us ignore, too many of us set aside the total victory we have in Jesus Christ. And as a result, as believers, we are not living at peace. This peace is available to you today. He wants you to live in the peace that he purchased for you. Receive it. You're here this morning and you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Understand that everything I've said today is what Jesus Christ came to give you. You don't have to continue to live in turmoil. 
You don't have to continue to live in anxiety. You don't have to rest on the acceptance or the rejection of others. You can receive today Jesus Christ, his salvation, his love, by simply saying, I'm done following my own way. I'm acknowledging that my heavenly father reigns and rules over my life. And so I give myself fully to him. I turn my back on the things of this world and I follow after Jesus Christ and I received in him my redemption, my hope, my life and the total victory that he purchased on the cross.